0: Today's guest, Sarah Brown, VP Marketing at Sastrify.
1: Well, I think what you're getting at is the importance of company values, so really instilling in your team this um, value around proactive communication, both sort of receiving it and sort of proactively seeking it, but also proactively sharing it. And I do agree with you, I think that's a, a huge challenge as your org gets bigger because Especially, you know, you can fit the entire company, let's say, in a Zoom meeting or in a conference room, right? You sort of walk over or just have a one meeting for everyone. But to your point, when you have more and more complexity, um, you, you sort of have that breakdown. And I think, again, it goes back to values for me and, and something I think a lot of companies struggle with. Um, I've certainly experienced this where like whose responsibility is it to find out something? If you have documentation and no one is looking at it, it doesn't matter. Someone's still chatting. Where's this thing? Or how do I find that? So I think really teaching ourselves to be um, sort of proactive in how we find information and and also proactively sharing it. And then also I think there's some level of, um, you're never going to know all of the context. I, I think about this as a marketing leader, right? Within my first team, which is a concept from Patrick Lencioni, he's a wrote the five dysfunctions of a team and sort of has a lot mm. of work in that field. The idea of your first team is really your, your executive team, your leadership team. And then your other team is your functional area. So VP of sales or, you know, VP of operations, whatnot, then sort of, but I always have the most context on my leadership team of what's going on in marketing on any given day and my I also have the most context on what's going on the leadership team on the marketing team on any given day. So I'm constantly going up and down sharing context and also there's some context you can't share in certain times where you just have to wait or so I think there also has to be a level of trust established. And for me, I have a high level of trust in my CEO and my co-founders where you know, as we're working through issues with the board or figuring out the market, I have to have trust and faith in that vision. Um, and then it's my job on the marketing side to figure out how that looks in the world, but there has to be also a shared sort of commitment to, um, to embodying that mission. And when you also get to a certain company size, I think you find people have divergent views of where the company should go and you have to create alignment there and that's easier said than done. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to, to talk more about this topic.
0: Sarah and I talked about her two books, um, Leading Upwards and Power to the Startup People. So um, she's from San Francisco um, and did a lot of go-to market for mid-market enterprise companies and many more. Um, And we talked a lot about leadership, especially across a certain stage um, and how dynamic and temporary a role can be and how important the expectations and also um, the right leadership style for the right environment um, is. And especially for the whole go-to-market suit um, across startups, scale-ups and then also corporates. So I think everybody was interested in that topic. It's a really insightful and um, episode and we got very specific about the go-to-market function and um, different company stages. So enjoy.
1: Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I
0: went home and and thought about this sentence. We
1: basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to
0: objectively judge certain situations.
1: very, 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 very hard to change that. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side.
0: Hi, Sarah. It's great that we have a chance to talk. Now on my end, it's 7 p.m. And on your end, how late is it? You're in San Francisco, right?
1: Yes, it's 10 a.m. here. So, really excited to chat with you today.
0: Perfect time. So, um, and also glad that we got to know each other because I think the connection came from Anna Ott, who we both know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you share more about the background there, how, how um, the connection came?
1: Absolutely. So I have the privilege of being the vice president of marketing at a fast-growing B2B SaaS company called Sastrify. We're the SaaS buying and management platform, and we are invested in by HV Capital, which is where Anna Ott works. So gotten to be a fan of her work uh, through, through HV, and I know many, many, many listeners are fans of her work as well. So very cool. Thank you, Anna, for the connection.
0: Yes. Thanks, Anna. Shout out to Anna. Um, So maybe you can give us a bit more context about yourself. This is how I I usually uh, like to start. And I think you have a very interesting background and also um, a cool specialization, um, which we can also maybe deep dive a bit later on.
1: Absolutely. So my background is in B2B SaaS and particularly on the go-to-market side. And as I kind of grew in my marketing career and got sort of more and more Leadership roles and eventually became a part of the executive team. I, on a personal level, noticed that there was a real gap in education, content, resources for startup employees. And through my work mentoring at Techstars, which is an accelerator for early stage companies, and also through my work uh, in the Colorado startup ecosystem in the US, I got to really see the importance for founders of hiring really high quality executives, but also being able to develop their in house talent to enable them to be successful at the leadership level. And as I was out there looking at content resources to help me on my journey, I realized there wasn't much. And so I have had the benefit of coaches, of CEOs who believed in me. Um, I had an executive coach when preparing for my first exec role, but the two books I've written, Power to the Startup People and the newest book, Lead Upwards, have really focused on books I wish had existed and include interviews with experts, people from the ecosystem, founders, VCs, startup executives on how to be successful. And it's been a really enriching side gig, I will say, from a just personal gratification perspective, uh, to be able to have these conversations and talk to people like you, even outside of my uh, my day job, which I also love in growing SaaS companies.
0: Sarah, first of all, really appreciate it that we got to... Um to talk to each other because I think that's something what I'm always look for passionate people about a certain topic that is somehow connected to leadership management or um, certain aspects of it. And um, before we go a bit deeper in the books you wrote about, and maybe also a bit of um, how a, a B2B marketing or can look like, I think that's also quite um, interesting because it changes over time and depending on company companies, um, Products and also customers, yeah, it it varies. But what shaped you most that you got so passionate about the leadership um, topics?
1: I think it was actually hanging out with really amazing founders. Maybe an odd answer, but I'll, I'll explain. So I spent a lot of time with founders and thinking about how to build a company. You really have to be on the marketing side, very close to the CEO, close to the founders. And for me, I always choose a role that I'm going to, to sort of spend my blood, sweat, and tears, uh, you know, building a company if I truly believe in the founders and usually co founders. And I always look for a strong co founder relationship. That's um, really crucial, something we have definitely at Sastrify. But that's been true of previous companies. And I've tended to see that the companies that do well really have that strong relationship between founders. But anyway, as I've built those relationships with founders, I've kind of started digesting their information diet of the books they're reading, the courses they're taking, what they're trying to learn. I saw this at Techstars with how founders were approaching their people challenges and problems. And I started to feel um, just underrepresented from the employee side. I thought, well, everything that the founders are going through, employees have a different perspective on. And if you think about it, you know, a founder may be at a company for 10, 15 years, depending on how long it takes, if they're successful to, to have an exit or to take the company to the next stage of growth, like going public, um, you know, whatever whatever that outcome may be, or, or landing the plane and selling it. And employees may have many, many jobs within that timeframe. So I also, I found this um, sort of, I like to think of it as a healthy irritation of like, why is no one talking about this? Or why aren't enough people talking about it? And then from a leadership perspective, Um, As a member of multiple underrepresented groups, I felt also it was odd getting to the leadership level that um, tended to be a few people who looked like me. And I didn't think that that was um, based on necessarily merit. It was more that I think a lot of folks from underrepresented backgrounds may or may not see themselves represented. And so um, my work has always attempted to be, it's a work in progress, inclusive of everyone. Uh, So no matter what your background Um, You can potentially see yourself if you're interested in a path to leadership, whereas many people may or may not ever want to be startup leaders. They may be really happy as individual contributors, and that's really valid too. But um, yeah, I'm happy to dig more into that as well.
0: Yes, and um, I think the temporary aspect of a role along the growth journey of a company is something what a lot of maybe also first-time founders or first-time leaders or overall First time, first timers in an environment that is um, predetermined to change fast and develop. I think it's really important to set the expectation in the hiring process already what the environment will look like if some people are not used to it already or um, don't know what to expect. Because otherwise, later on, you have a lot of tension when um, when you need to change certain. I would say behavior of teams or structures and you could even say okay in a startup everything is dynamic but it can't be not (laughs) especially if if, um, expectations are not managed right or um, managed at all or defined um, responsibilities not defined and so on and um, how how do you think you can enable an organization that also a good balance of maybe leaders from within can be grown and also a certain level of experience can be hired externally into it, how, how would you approach that overall or what are your thoughts towards that topic? Maybe it's a bit of a broad um, question, but I ask it broad because you wrote so much about it.
1: Sure. Um, I love this question. Maybe I'll start by taking the approach of the other side, which is how can startup employees think about, will I be hired uh, to, for a role that maybe I will reach a certain limit at the company and someone will be hired over me? And do, am I okay with that? or potentially is there room for me to grow and sort of develop in my career? And then also I can talk about how companies can think about it. So something that we tend to see at the earliest stage companies is everyone's doing everything, right? I mean, even the CEO is, is fielding all the sales calls and some, somehow they're you know managing accounting and all of this. And as you grow and become more mature, you hire more specialists and that's just the natural evolution. And you still have some generalists within organizations, but the idea is the maturity is you have people who are very competent in certain areas, very experienced, or are growing that experience. And something we also see um, in different funding environments, you need a certain level of growth within a certain time period where just mathematically you can't necessarily get that growth from a people perspective within that time. So for instance, if you raise, um, let's say, a Series A and you have a certain revenue milestone to get to by the end of the year, you might need to hire a salesperson who you can guarantee will, will sort of have that background versus training an SDR to sort of be the AE. I mean, that's a that's a very simplified example. But I also think within our current fundraising environment, we're seeing that companies need to make capital last longer and extend their runways, which can be a really good thing for employee growth because you might have more time to hit certain revenue milestones or company milestones, and there may be more opportunities to grow. So from a broad perspective, I would say the landscape may or may not offer that um, to the same degree that it did in the past, where in the past it really was okay, fundraising round, we need to sort of level up higher. Um, I hate the expression, but sort of adults in the room. Um, But from an employee perspective, if you think about it, you could be hired as the only marketer. And then suddenly your company grows and reaches a certain level of maturity. Now you really need someone who can lead a team. And if you don't Hmm. have that experience, there may or may not be room for you to, to do that. And so what I've seen work really well, just give this advice to employees and sort of my fellow employees is, Think about what's really important to you in your career and don't underestimate the power of working for someone who may or may not um, be a really good leader and mentor for you. And if you're only focused on sort of getting to the next run, you can really lose that uh, really valuable chance to get that leadership, coaching, training, just even by watching how they perform and how they manage. That being said, um, especially if you're sort of on the cusp, let's say you're ahead of, you're the head of the marketing department and you really want to be the the VP or you really want to be the CMO, um, you can have a conversation with your founders and say, what are your expectations? Where's the gap between where I'm performing now and what you would need from a board perspective, from a leadership perspective? And then potentially um, you can ask not to be hired over. You can have a conversation where you're saying, look, I see this gap. I'm going to get coaching. I'm going to listen to the people factor. I'm going to read lead upwards and I'm going to get the skills I need. That being said, sometimes the reality is we're going to need someone potentially who has the experience they've already seen seen the playbook. Um, And and that's also, I would say on the kind of company side, uh, a risk where if you're hiring someone um, from outside, the risk is, if they've come from a big company, they might not understand your startup. They certainly don't have experience with your culture versus the person who's maybe come up and sort of seen it through the years. That being said, um, if you hire from internally, especially if you're hiring, let's say, a VP of sales, let's say you promote your head of sales, they may or may not have a good reputation in the market where, you know, VP of sales comes on board. One of their first remits is go hire a bunch of AEs that you've worked with in the past or SDRs you've worked with in the past. So they don't have that, that network to pull from. Also, a lot of people are skeptical of reporting to a first-time leader. It'd be kind of mm-hmm. nerve-wracking, like, is this person going to actually be a good boss for me? So it's very complicated. There's trade-offs. I read about it a lot in Lead Upwards. But I will say, I think from my experience, there's often a lot of opportunity in early stage companies if you're patient and if you're proactive and talking to your founders and talking to your leadership team about what your goals are, where you could say, look, maybe I'm going to be hired over for the CMO role or for the CRO role. But I'd like to develop in these other ways. And can I continue focusing on that? And I would also say it's individual. A lot of people are really happy going from being the only marketer to suddenly they have a team of 10 or 20 and they get to play a different role as a specialist. So, um, how's that? I'm curious how you approach that too, Thomas. I know you talk about it a lot with companies you work with.
0: In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Uh, So, I would categorize it in different stages. Um, Let's say a classical, um, let's say seed stage marketing or a sales team or go to market unit can also really vary depending on how the founders see themselves in terms of expertise and also motivation on what they want to do. And I would always recommend for the founders, especially in the beginning, um, really do the sales by yourself because there is not, not much um, I think you can offer initially um, beside the founders charisma, trust and um everything he or she has in, in, in their minds, um, to convince with passion (laughs) and later on getting, getting it delivered and prioritized, right? So I think that's, that's key in the beginning. And I think the whole marketing aspect is sometimes maybe following that approach because once you have a message market fit or a product market fit, you can invest further in a marketing approach. But I think first you can see it under product and the marketing and the sales, i I don't mind. Yeah, I think it's it's really go-to-market. But depending on what the setup is, it's more maybe a product-based approach, a marketing-based approach or a sales-based approach. Um, so there it really varies. And I would always hire in the beginning generalists with a lot of potential. Yeah, Later on, when you see certain patterns and certain structures getting um, more recurring, um, try to get somebody who either... Wants to specialize or hire specialists, and I think in the beginning, Series A, you don't need um, leaders with big management experiences in scope. Um, maybe one by department, but also maybe one or two previous roles in experience is maybe good enough. Yeah, I think if you're coming to expansion in terms of several, also multi-product, multi-market, um, fast delivery you need to hire people who have been there done that and then usually also the founders cannot excel with a certain speed um and then you need to make the first 300k hires yeah maybe earlier on you need to make the first 150k hires in terms of say gross annual salary um and there you also can expect that they are still Partly hands-on, but I think from a 300K hire, don't expect to be too hands-on. Just give them the full resp- responsibility, measure them on targets, let them set the targets and let them deliver what they need to and set the expectations on what, what's the time they need and the resources they need to deliver and provide them. And of course, always do your due diligence. Um, but I think that's three stages on how I see um, hiring in an e- evolving journey. And what is happening in between on the second layer, I would say um, really depends on the people you set on top um, and also on the environment, right? If it's a B2B SaaS product that is more for the enterprise segment, or maybe in the beginning you cannot even sell to enterprise because why should they talk to a company that does not have a proper um, position in the market? Yeah, it's tough. So maybe you start with mid-market or SMBs and then go up market during um the time you have more traction, the time you have a better product market fit. And this is always possible at some point, I guess, but you also then need to really try and focus hard because the whole go-to-market for enterprise in each vertical, in each market needs to be highly a prioritized and focused approach. And if you don't get the teams um, focused on maybe five to 25 accounts per year to target, um, you will fail. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's interesting. You're covering a lot of different areas here, I think, are probably really valuable for, for people listening. And I would say for startup employees who are thinking, how does this impact me? How do I think about my journey? The reality is you kind of have to reassess your career every six months, maybe even more, but at least every six months. And I think, particularly at milestones like fundraising, Um, you know, you'll come in at a seed stage potentially. And the company looks very, very different, sometimes even just six months or a year later, depending on the maturity, depending on growth. And I think that can really catch people off guard. I'll also say, you know, you made a point about setting targets. And when you're hiring these sort of uh, experienced leaders, we've all had a leader come in and they haven't touched, you know, a CRM in, in forever. And they just only know how to read a report and they haven't necessarily been in the weeds or I like to call it on the shop floor. And I think it's really crucial, especially, you know, at certain startup stages like series A, series B, where you have that leader who maybe has that deep expertise of where you're trying to go, like trying to get to that 50 million in ARR. But until you get to that sort of next benchmark or milestone, they do need to be fairly hands-on in some ways, not that they're executing, but they need to at least understand
0: -hmm. And I think
1: one thing that big company people I've talked to really struggle with coming to smaller startups is they may have this very specific set of knowledge that works with a ton of resources, but we all have to be creative in startups. Particularly now, I would also say a lot of folks who are going from startups to kind of getting into larger companies they have to learn how to take true ownership and really um, ownership at the business levels that the board is interested in, that shareholders are interested in. And so I think it's scaling is quite hard in both directions. It's hard to come up when you've been the person who does everything and it's hard to come from I have a huge team and an assistant and then suddenly I'm you know wow everything's broken and why isn't that person a role yet right you have to kind of figure out how to make that work um but yeah I I love this topic and I'm I'm glad that you think about it and and certainly rich 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 one to dig into more
0: Uh, to be honest and I think also not every organization needs these type of hires at all, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you can, if you have a very, I would say, lean approach or structure, or the founders want to grow into that role, it can still work out. I think a great example is Zalando, not yet anymore, but um, they really grew um, founder led to a very, very late stage and still the founders running the company. But of course, they hired um, a CTO like from Amazon. Um, who then ran the show for some time. I think he's not here there anymore. Um, But this is, uh, I would say, (laughs) a a prime example for, okay, a scale-up or a startup or now a public company, a major corporate um, that is quite new or fresh born still, higher than somebody from an Amazon, which is also maybe not that old, but way bigger in scale. Um, It can also maybe just work for a certain period of time where you need that. And at some point it doesn't fit anymore, right? So I think this is this needs to be seen very individual and very temporary. But I think the, the key is there to always define the expectations with help of others, benchmark your expectations, iterate your expectations, and also be very transparent towards the candidates and also being open to let them um, shape the expectations based on their individual experience, that it can work out. And there are so many aspects so it's the existing team, the legacy of the company and the team, um, the future, I would say, prospective market environments, um, so many things to consider. So I think you cannot give a general answer to it. You need to really discuss it case by case um, because it's hyper-individual. And I see when I make um, a lot of VP or director hires or even managing director hires, mm-hmm. I always, in the first step, um, listen to um, what is expected and then question do not question it too much before i talk talk to five to ten candidates from different scopes and then go back and say that's the feedback from that type of person from that type of person and that type of person what do you want to do with it because we need to do something with it but the question is what and then it really defines the style on what you hire and also shapes the the next stage of the company and also the role you define. So I think that's that should be a very um, iterative approach. And I think you need to be open-minded enough for that and be able to give away control and power um, to get to the right conclusion and decision at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, maybe you can um, tell us how to lead upwards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to say, titling a book is not not for the faint of heart it, it's a challenge you have to figure out sort of what your um, yeah what your audience is going to resonate with and I'm a marketer right So lead upwards I think an alternate title for the book was potentially going to be the nonlinear path. And I think they're related and the idea of leading upwards, I think a lot of us have this perspective that depending on what our title is, we sort of lead down from there. Right, We're the leader. But actually, regardless of your title, you could be an individual contributor. There are ways to take ownership and create impact. And so what I wanted to reflect in the book as well is for those who are not the founders, who are not the ones starting companies, we make a tremendous impact on the ecosystem and you know if every startup employee today sort of said i'm done i don't i don't want to come to work tomorrow right the the saas industry would be uh sort of up in arms everything would would shut down and we we truly are the lifeblood of the industry and if you think about how many founders there are for every employee just in the ecosystem it's tremendous and i think we tend to have this belief that we are um you know, because we're not the founders, because we're not the ones who are establishing the companies that we can't lead in the same way. And so what I really wanted to highlight was if you're a joiner, this is a term coined by a VC named Jeff Busgang, who um, was generous in contributing to the book. Um, he runs Flybridge Capital, he, uh, VC at Flybridge Capital. He's also a Harvard business professor. Uh, but what I appreciate about Jeff's concept of the joiner is this person who is motivated, wants to contribute, is joining the company, really buying into the founder's mission, and. So I, I think to lead upwards and sort of think about this career perspective of regardless of my title, what's the impact I want to make? Where do I want to grow? How can I make sure that's right for me and not what I see this other person doing? And I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, so I, I encourage people and I offer guidance in the book to really individualize. And we talk a lot in the book about company fit as well as stage fit. And I think it's really important to do a lot of self, you know, self-inquiry and self-awareness and saying, not just what am I good at, what I actually want to do. And we, uh, I talk about as well, people who kind of get into this place where they're really good at something. Maybe you're a fantastic customer, um, customer marketer. You're really good at doing all of those um, deep in, you know, interviews, but maybe you're an introvert and you don't want to get on a plane every week or, or a train every week, right? So you have to really know yourself. Um, I think it's important too to look around and say, you know, I don't really want to work for a 500 person company. I'd really rather be one of those first 15 people sitting around or standing in a parking lot, right? Like the early days at Netflix. And and I think you have to really know know too if you want to go back to that stage or if you are open to the ride and the journey and having joined companies at Seed Stage and taken them through Series B, through Exit. I've worked for a public company um, after it acquired one of my uh, companies I was working with. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of different stages and wow, they feel different, like really remarkably different. Um, the level of process, whether you know everyone's name, um, how much you're actually involved in things on other teams, you know, something at early stage, I mean, everyone gets to have a say on what the product is building. It's kind of amazing. Um, you actually know maybe not how many story points something is that engineering's working on, but you really understand your teammates. And then as the company gets bigger, you sort of have less and less visibility. So I think it's important to kind of ask yourself, is this what I want? Do I want to learn how to be someone who can be at a 500 or a 1,000 person or a 10,000 person company? Or do I really want to stay for this part of the journey? Um, I think
0: also one tip I would add there, and I totally mm-hmm. agree with everything, and I would always say, yeah, that's super smart, but it's hard to figure that out. <laughs> um, because how do you figure that out? Yeah, If you're busy work working all the time, and that's usually the case, pe- people especially f- first time in your role and so on, you can get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, getting a psychologist or a coach really helps. Yeah, you can call it however you want. But I think that's something what really, really adds a lot of value. And it it costs some money. But I think if you do it proactively without having a certain um, area where you really want to dive into, this can already be enough When you just go once a month to just reflect and have somebody really neutral and keeping you a bit of accountable at some point if you switch patterns or if you're, turning it in circles. (laughs) Um, And then also mapping out a bit the expectations of yourself, what you actually want to to achieve. Plus also an other side, which I would differentiate is mentoring. And mentoring Mm -hmm. for me is a bit more specific to a certain topic or area or environment. And I think the whole coaching and psychology um, part would be quite neutral to the topic, um, which can go personal, professional, um, health related, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and doing this just maybe every 18 to 24 months, I think, can always help proactively. But what, what do you think about that topic?
1: I, I love that uh, coaching, mentoring. Um, and I think those are, those are really crucial. I also think, um, you know, it's interesting. It, it can be hard to know. Am I unhappy because my company just got really big? Am I unhappy because I'm working on something I don't like? Am I unhappy because it's just a stressful month in my life. And maybe I'm going through something on the personal side and, and I don't know whether work is is part of that. And I think we tend to have a belief of the grass is greener, like, oh, other companies. But, you know, it actually, it's funny, like some of the challenges I think we face at growing companies, I try to normalize it um, on teams, which is every growing company faces this. And I, it's, this is kind of weird, but I think right between a series A and a series B, like right when you're about to raise your series B, I've noticed a slump every single company I've been at for like a couple weeks. Just it's scary. It's um, a huge jump in terms of the next scale of growth. And I've just seen the culture break down at literally every company I've been at that's done that round. And then it goes back up. And I don't know. I don't know why, um, but I'll just note it. And so I think also when you do have experienced people in the room, maybe, um, potentially a founder hasn't been through a certain fundraising stage, or maybe they have, but it's helpful just to be able to also talk to a coach, to your point. And your coach is like, yeah, that's normal. Whatever you're going through, first board meeting, it was painful. No worries. They're always painful the first time, or maybe the first 300 times, who knows. But um, I think it's it's also really helpful to get out of your own head and say, oh, I'm not unique. This is actually just a really challenging moment or you know, this um, churn potential that happens after you reach a certain set of scale, right? Because you've had the luxury of having a lot of customers and some of them maybe weren't a good fit. Maybe you had people come on board and you you know got them outside of your ICP, then you really honed your ICP. Well, natural churn, right? You have companies that weren't really a good fit for you in the first place. So I think some of that too is as a leader or as someone you know, kind of helping your team, you can say, actually, this is normal. Um, and, and some of that's to be expected.
0: In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please, send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. I think the Series A and Series B cultural change aspect, um, I think there is a pattern what I identified. So usually when you get Series B, um, the founders are way more detached from the teams, because there is usually a layer of middle management throughout the company. And I think to just build this layer of middle management, or even if it's not there yet, but you know, you have to do that. I think the expectations or the the behavior changes without the implementation being done yet. And this is where usually things clash. (laughs) Oh, it can also, it it also can happen later, depending on if they did a seed pre-seed or whatever, when they start and how mature the company is with it. But I think this starts when you go either multi-product or Um, Mm multi-markets, because at some point you need to have a certain way of maybe matrix, matrix org, where you get a hierarchical structure in G and A orgs. Maybe you already get started with kind of a matrix org, org in the whole revenue Field because you need to divide by products or divide by countries and mm-hmm. in the especially if you're talking about SaaS world in the um, product development side you usually always get a kind of a matrix org or a, um, a different type of org that is not hierarchical because you work in different cross-functional teams yeah
1: I and thoughts, this
0: yeah. exactly and this is really changing I think the whole way, People interact, work together, communication is a big aspect because suddenly it gets so complex where you usually pass the 80 to 120 people mark where you actually would maybe also need all hands, not just for the company, but each team or each group, each layer that has a certain amount of people also needs an all hands and also then needs to interact with the other um, organizations that have interdependencies and there you usually also see it in um, the prioritization that suddenly nobody knows what's the prioritization um, everybody's doing too much because it's completely a new complexity and way more dependencies that you cannot map and until this is settled in it takes as you said maybe even half a year or nine months and then the series C is coming no it was a different environment but sometimes it happens <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I think what you're getting at is the importance of company values. So really instilling in your team this um, value around proactive communication, both sort of receiving it and sort of proactively seeking it, but also proactively sharing it. And I do agree with you. I think that's a, a huge challenge as your org gets bigger because especially, you know, you can fit the entire company, let's say in a Zoom meeting or in a conference room, right? You sort of walk over or just have a one meeting for everyone. But to your point, when you have more and more complexity, um, you, you sort of have that breakdown. And I think, again, it goes back to values for me. And it's something I think a lot of companies struggle with. Um, I've certainly experienced this where, so like whose responsibility is it to find out something? If you have documentation and no one is looking at it, it doesn't matter someone's still chatting. Where's this thing or how do I find that? So I think really teaching ourselves to be um, sort of proactive in how we find information and, sh- and also proactively sharing it. And then also I think there's some level of, um, you're never going to know all of the context. I, I think about this as a marketing leader, right? Within my first team, which is a concept from Patrick Lencioni, he's a wrote the five dysfunctions of a team and sort of has a lot mm. of work in that field. The idea of your first team is really your, your executive team, your leadership team. And then your other team is your functional area. So VP of sales or, you know, VP of operations, whatnot, then sort of, but I always have the most context on my leadership team of what's going on in marketing on any given day. And my, I also have the most context on what's going on the leadership team on the marketing team on any given day. So I'm constantly going up and down sharing context. And also there's some context you can't share in certain times where you just have to wait. Or So I think there also has to be a level of trust established. And for me, I have a high level of trust in my CEO and my co-founders where you know, as we're working through issues with the board or figuring out the market, I have to have trust and faith in that vision. Um, and then it's my job on the marketing side to figure out how that looks in the world. But there has to be also a shared sort of commitment to um, to embodying that mission. And when you also get to a certain company size, I think you find people have divergent views of where the company should go and you have to create alignment there. And that's easier said than done. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to, to talk more about this topic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely agree. I think we're just a bit over time because I tried to always keep it at 30 minutes. So um, maybe we, we we wrap it up here. Is there anyone you can um, recommend who I interview next, which you know, I don't know yet.
1: Sure. Um, I'm very biased here, but I think you should talk to Sven Lackinger. He's our um, CEO, co-founder of Sastrify. He's one of the more, I think, visionary founders in terms of people leadership. And, um, you know, he and his co-founder, Max, uh, have really... Um, put a lot of thought into how we structure our people team and, and empowering the people team that we have. We have a fantastic people team at Soustra Yeah. If you're so s-
0: open to that, I would definitely love to do that.
1: Yeah. I'm happy to, I'm happy to see, uh, I might know someone who knows him. We'll see. i uh, happy to talk. Um, but this has been a pleasure, Thomas. I could talk to you all day and I, I just love to, I mean, one thing I'll note for your listeners is, you know, if you're interested in learning about these topics and talking about them, I, my DMs are open on LinkedIn, always happy to chat and have conversations on the, the show notes. I think we need to be having more conversations like this because it can feel very lonely and isolating in the startup world. We think our unique company, you know, it's so special, but ultimately we're all in this ecosystem together and genuinely believe we're all here to help each other. So I love that you take that approach to helping companies. And I'm excited to meet people who also believe in that.
0: Cool. Yeah. I would have maybe an intro, a colleague of mine, Alex, he is um, doing a GTM as a go-to-market podcast and it's called go-to-market mastery. Um, when we now record, it's not launched yet, but um, when the episode will be live, I think already four or five episodes will be out. Um, the VP mm-hmm. of Personio and so on is interviewed and uh, a lot of other folks, and it's really long, around go to market. And I think if you're open to that, it would be super interesting, and I would forward to look um, to listen to it. Sure. Well,
1: thank you. Likewise. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you as well.